Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Get $75 off any Plan Academy course by visiting planacademy.com forward slash chatter that's planacademy.com forward slash c-h-a-t-t-e-r hey everyone this episode is brought to you by justdo.com justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at project chatter i agree val i like to keep things simple and justdo is perfect for that but i do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well and one of my favorites is the task specific chat Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. On this week's pod, we are welcomed by Christina Henkai to discuss how to sustainably implement 4D planning in organizations. Christina has a decade of experience managing project data and teams on complex and large scale. That's over $500 million plus projects. Christina, who supported 4D planning and digital practices at Bechtel, led the effort to develop a company-wide implementation guide that will be utilized on future projects as the standard for 4D planning and implementation. Val, what, what did we talk about with Christina? Wow, it was good. Um, there's so many different areas we covered, but I think, you know, going into a few key points, I think visual planning process that analyzed the correlation between time, space, and processes, I thought that was a great takeaway. And it's not just 3D plus time, which is perfect uh, to get us started. Um, she also talked about 4D as a process rather than a tool and talked about 4D as an enabler to having better planning sessions, which helps stakeholders visualize the plan, um, especially in the short term which we all agreed on. And we had some really, really good conversations about that. Yeah, I agree. We had visualizations of people standing around the plan and talking about it. And I think she mentioned that, you know, people didn't disagree with each other, which was awesome. So mm. listen to that folks. So we also covered a, a bit about BIM. So how BIM will never be a replacement for human planners. Um, and the skill of planners is to be empathetic and questioning in order to get the right result. I think we mentioned that a lot of planners sort of just take things for granted and put it into a schedule. 
um, where we need planning to be a bit more rounded. So listen out for that one, folks. And then the key, the key, education is the key to expanding visual planning in the future. Uh, it will help to attract new talent to the construction industry through better modeling and focus on core planning techniques. So folks, go ahead, jump straight into it, listen for those key points, uh, and enjoy the podcast. Hello, project people. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. Remember to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player and YouTube if you'd like to see some friendly faces. Dale, how are you, mate? Halfway through the year already. Can you believe it? Halfway through the year. A brand new season as well, Val. Episode 76. I'm not too bad, by the way. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're, we're closing in on the snow season, so hopefully I get out and I'll be able to take the kids for a ski soon. Nice. Mm. Whoever thought of skiing in Australia, but anyway, there you go. I know. I know. Good. You got to do something in the cold. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am enjoying. I'm enjoying the lockdown actually a little bit. I'll be honest. It it means I get to hang out with the kids during school holidays a bit more. So there are benefits in being locked down, ladies and gentlemen. You just got to find them. Now let's get into it. We are joined today by Christina Henkai to talk about how sustainability or how sustainably to implement 4D planning in your organization. Hi, Christina, how are you? Hello. Hi, how are you? Very good. Very good. We are again, this multinational podcast, so it couldn't get more exciting for us because we're in three separate locations and I love having these international conversations. How about you, Dale? I do. Um, it's it's amazing. I think, Christina, you were saying before we'd record that you usually, with the 4D construction group, you're used to this, where I think you're saying the sun's setting for one person <laughs> and it's rising for the other. Yeah, um, we just do 4D, 4D all day, no matter where we are in the world. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. It's, it's nonstop. It's 24 hours, Val. <laughs> it is. It's matching tattoos. Straight off this podcast, that's what it is. That's what we're going to do. 4D. A shout out to the 4D guys anyway for, uh, for bringing you into our, our podcast. Uh, great guys uh, and doing great things. So let's get into it. Should we start? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's kick it off. Um, so Christina, from your perspective, I mean, we'd love to hear a bit about your background before we get into it. Um, we do have your, your bio anyway. Um, but what does 4D mean to you? Because we've done this a few times with a few different guests and, you know, it's not like it's been, you know, just revealed yesterday. It's been around for a while. Um, I know, and it's probably a loaded question. The 4D guys have a different name for 4D. Um, but what's your, what's your take on it? Yeah, you're so right. There's like, there's so many definitions out there, but mm. there, there seems to be this one clinical mathematical definition, which I don't actually like, which is 3D plus time, right? That's like the cleanest, most yeah. mathematical way you can say it. But to me, it's a, it really understates the true value of what 4D can bring. And so my definition is that it's a visual planning process that um, allows you to analyze the correlation between changing uh, time and space, right? And there's three key words there for me, which is um, process, correlation, and changing. And you'd think like maybe it was supposed to be space and time because 4D, but honestly, again, I think that sort of understates what we can do with this planning process. 
which is to yeah. really focus on how construction is so dynamic, right? Everything is constantly changing and we need to know how one change affects another change. So that's the correlation part, correlation changing and then having it be a process so it's not just a bunch of ad hoc things. Um, so yeah, that's my definition, a visual planning process that analyzes the correlation between changing time and space. Christina, that's probably the best definition I think we've ever had in the history of this podcast because we, I, I heard the same definition given to, I think it was 5D, where they said, oh, it's just, you know, it's just, um, it's just BIM. It's, uh, it's basically time and cost. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a bit lame. I mean, it how is. do you want people to be engaged with 4D and 5D if you give them these these very ordinary names when it can do so much more? I actually would default back to the fact, I call it um, visual management. And, you know, because I want to include it in other things or visual editing. Yeah. And I want it to be part of a um, an easier way of managing projects, I guess. Um, but from your perspective, I mean, have you done, what's the biggest, in terms of your uh, experience, you know, what's the biggest implementation uh, and how did that remain sustainable? Right. Um, so the biggest one was actually my first one, technically. Um, it was, it, well, I guess it was like the first company. So a, a quick timeline of how I got introduced to 4D and where it led was this 12-month journey. And at the very beginning of it, I didn't even know what a model was. Okay. So we're starting like brand freaking fresh new to implementing it to the CEO. And that was like kind of the trajectory that I did over 12 months. Um, but to your point, I also call it visual planning. Like I say, I'm a visual planning specialist. I'm not a 4D person. Mm. I'm a visual planning specialist. And the way it started was I was just walking during a reforecast, kind of dazed or whatever, and just wanted to do anything but the reforecast. So I'm like looking around and I saw on one of the field engineers, uh, they had a model on their screen. I didn't know what a model was. I asked, I thought that was pretty cool. It looked like what we were building. What is that, right? Um, and then long story short, we end up taking that model that was typically just for engineers and bringing it into our planning sessions um, in a very 2D way. Um, I would say what model shots I needed and then I would mark up what the, the four week look aheads were and then we'd review that, that um, picture. So some people may call that like 2D, 4D, but to me, it's just visual planning, right? Like it's yeah. combining those things together. It, you notice there's no software in that, that little journey. But because of that, we had these amazing planning sessions where I had never seen before. People weren't blaming each other. Like, <laughs> have wow. you ever been to a, a scheduling update meeting where someone's not saying like it's his fault? yeah and whatever and like he stole my crane you know whatever it may be <laughs> and it stole was just, my crane. <laughs> well it always happens <laughs> yeah it does i know you're right absolutely 100 yeah. percent agree yeah yeah so it was um it happened the biggest implementation happened because of a spark of curiosity that led that that grew because i found a person with a problem and tried to fix it with visual planning mm -hmm. and it's just it's so simple in that sense and then we went to corporate started to document it, which is super key to making this sustainable, um, made an implementation guideline that goes through people, process, and tech, and then ultimately started to train people into how do you sell this vision and this uh, process to upper management? Because at the end of the 12-month um, timeline that I'm talking about, 
we got the CEO to say, yes, keep going. Here's more money. Um, I love this. This is how we need to do work. And when you have that upper level and lower level kind of coming together, that's really how you can make it sustainable. Focus on people, yeah. process tech, and have upper and lower level engaged. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, that, that is so good. Well, congrats. And that was your first, right? I mean, you, 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 yeah. your first baby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, that is, and it was yeah. a terrible project in the beginning, which is a great learning ground. <laughs> so. Perfect. They are. They are. Honestly, you get the, the heart of the project. I think the, the more skills you obtain, uh, and yeah. especially if they're doing something you know, kind of new edge or uh, something different then you know, and you're, you're writing, you're, I guess you're pioneering through all the various facets. And I, I, like, I like that you mentioned that you just need, you need that understanding of the implementation and the guidelines, but you also need that sponsorship from the top. Uh, and that's that buy-in of stakeholders, which is always really good. And we're emphasizing it again today. So, you know, I don't know where we go, Christina, from here. I mean, do we go and submit a petition that we would like to change the name of 4D to something a little bit more practical? Is there, a, have you said that? I have right, said 4D that to guys. James. I said, we, we, need, we need to take back this word and redefine it. That's what I told him. James, <laughs> where's this petition? We're ready to sign. Dale, let's get this petition going. Uh, we just have a word with James. We'll just kick it off. Let's just, we'll just kick it off. Let's do this petition. So after this podcast, we're going to get a petition. We're going to say, I don't even know where you'd send it to. This is the problem. I don't know where you'd send it to. You, you, send don't it to software Why are you, you send it to everybody. See, that's, that, that's one of the biggest. A declaration then. Is it a yeah. declaration? It, mm. it honestly is. And it's not, and, and 4D is not a product. It's not a tool. It's a process. And that's one right. of the, that's yeah. got to be one of the biggest culture shifts in it because it's, it's still very much presented as um, the video at the end or whatever the, the, the tangible may be, but it's not that it's the picture that you should think of when you think of 4D is a group of people standing around something visual and planning out their work and considering all the elements of time and space. Like that's what the picture of 4D should be, not a pretty yeah. video. And, and the exciting prospect is people aren't complaining or blaming. I mean, if, that, if that's what it takes know, to get a project amazing. to work together, everyone should be visual <laughs> planning. Uh, I think yeah. with the 4D guys, I don't correct me from Wrongdale, but I think they said it, they came up with a name as well. They wanted to call it model-based planning, which is pretty close, right? Uh, yeah, it makes kind of sense. But do you, what, what's your view on that? So that's a good question. I think, I, I think that traps you in the mindset of a model. Um, and so like, you don't want anyone to think if I don't have a 3D model, I can't do visual planning. I can't do 4D. Mm. And so that's my biggest thing against MBS model-based planning because everyone just kind of thinks of it in that geometric representation kind of way. And that's ultimately where we want to go, right? But everything happens with an evolution. And when I first started, it was with a 2D plan and marking it up, right? So I think that we need to respect the way that people learn and have everyone go through these like micro evolutions so that they can actually adapt to that model-based side. Does that make sense? Did I just like rant? Sorry. <laughs> no, we all rant, um, but your rants make absolute sense, especially in the 4D space. I think you're right. I think there's, with language, you gotta be careful with language. It, it, it does have an impact of how people perceive yeah. things, uh, particularly on projects, you know, where there's options for them to listen or use the tools and, and, the, and the tool sets that you prescribe or they can go off if it's too hard. 
you've seen this, right? If there's too much project resistance, they'll go off and make something of their own. Right. Um, largely out of necessity because they still need to deliver something. And I think sometimes maybe we're too prescriptive in projects, but there's another podcast, I guess, uh, where we, we're, we're telling them too much. You know, we should just be outcome focused um, and say, look, if you want to get there via visual, if you want to write a whole bunch of documents, doesn't really matter. But I think you're right. I think we are also evolving into things wider than just BIM, which is another great terminology. Uh, BIM, you know, 4D, digital engineering. Um, and I'm just going to, this is one for me and just because I'm curious. Uh, and then I'm going to hand over to Dale because he's probably got a whole bunch of questions. But what's, the, what's BIM's role in digital engineering? Are they the same thing? Are they different? Why are they different? Uh, I love your take on that, Christina. Oh, man. You're just yeah. like asking all these like huge. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, opening up, I'm just opening up the can. You don't have yeah. to touch the can. You just look in it. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, my, my schooling is in engineering. And when, when I hear the word engineering, I, I think mm -hmm. it has to do, and maybe it's because I went to civil structural engineering, but I also keep coming back to the sustainability of whatever you're doing. Um, mm. And so engineering to me is really focused on making sure that you're designing something that works for the, the community, which is one part of sustainability, the people part. Um, it makes sense from an efficiency point of view. It doesn't take like a crazy amount of resources. So here you can see where I'm leading to Vim. Mm -hmm. um, that's the economic point of view. And um, those are like just so, so, so important. And if you lose sight of trying to balance that, that trilogy, you know, people process tech, everyone says it, but you're, we're kind of like forgetting what it means. If we lose mm -hmm. sight of that balance, um, then we can turn something into a monster. And so I think digital engineering is trying to bring it back to the balance. Whereas BIM turned into a little bit of a monster, <laughs> not in a, yeah, like, because, yeah. because it's used for, it's, it's overblown in places where it shouldn't be. Yeah. Right. And it's just because there's this lack of guidance or learning or, you know, whatever it may be. I see some BIM plans that are just out of control. Uh, the level of detail that we're requiring for something that has minimal impact is it's just totally not balanced. Um, and so I think that might be the difference. Like it at its core, they're doing the same things, but it's really like, where are they trying to head? Or maybe, the, maybe they're just trying to redefine BIM. I, don't know. <laughs> I, think, I, think, so. I think they are. Um, I've heard all sorts of uh, interesting topics and um, terminology like digital engineering, yeah. digital engineering plus, which included more BIM, uh, where I think digital engineering, you know, from an outside looking in, because I'm not, well, I've got an engineering background as well, but I think they, they see it as uh, a design process rather than a full life asset management process where what we're finding now, I think, is that BIM or 4D or asset management carries over beyond the end of the project finish date. And I'm going to bring Dale into the conversation because right. we've talked about the definition of a project. You know, the, the smallest one is, you know, it's a unique endeavor. I think Dale says it every other episode. And so if the project end date is no longer really the end date from a deliverable perspective, it probably is from a contractual deliverable perspective, but actually that the through life product is still there. And, and there's a digital representation of that. Cause then you start talking about digital twins and maybe we won't go there yet, but that, that, that probably struggle that 
for me, I struggle with understanding that properly and, and how you deliver a quality product and maintain it. We do that anyway in handover, but we usually it's the client's problem then. But to, to actually have something that's a digital representation of something in the real world is crazy. It's fantastic. It's exciting. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people that don't understand it. Uh, and so it does come back to what you were talking about. We, we kind of overcomplexify it. We gold plate it. We, we go down to levels that are ridiculous. I mean, you've seen this in general projects with schedules where we go down to this ridiculous level of reporting where no one's actually got a clue of what they're doing. They're all estimating and uh, or sort of estimating. And Flag. <laughs> it actually, you, you question the value that it's, it's adding to the project. It's like, hang on guys, what are we trying to do here? Uh, I'm going to grab Dale in there and see what he thinks about this. I love listening to this. I always love listening to conversations. I'm the most, I have the most privileged seat alongside Martin, I think, when you speak to our guests, Val. Um, but I love the fact that you've called it visual planning. Um, pardon the pun, but you can see it. When you say visual planning. Mm. <laughs> so you can see people standing around. Um, and it reminded me of a podcast. We spoke to Steve Moore last season, season three, around where's this headed with all the technology we spoke about sort of planning and scheduling innovation and will there be holograms that everyone's you know standing around um and he kind of went no he thinks more it's going to be like sort of you know the the 3d sort of glasses or hololens i think he, he mentioned as well so it's quite an interesting space because you, you can use different technology but as you say christine it could just be a 2d plan that you sort of sitting around and extrapolating on and and, and chatting around that but you mentioned there that you, your schooling was in engineering and just for those listeners, just to fill the gap, I, I'm interested to hear how you made the jump from engineering into the planning space. Is, is there a big massive story behind that or was it just a go ahead and do it? Um, I think I was meant for it. <laughs> like I think it, was, nice. I think it was like this secret calling that you like, you don't realize until like years later, like, you know what, these all led to that. Um, I've always loved construction and I've been told I, sometimes I can be a little bit of like the boss year planner side right so <laughs> there's like that starting from birth it was meant to be but um, it was really through engineering school I always loved science physics math like loved it excelled at it um, but the one thing I really enjoyed and took the most out of when I was in um, university was this group called Concrete Canoe. And I don't know if anyone's familiar with it, but it's essentially like this whole design build competition um, where you build a canoe out of concrete and you have to actually make it usable. So it has to go through um, aesthetics. So it has to be pleasing, can't look like a lump of crap. <laughs> it has to actually be able to float. There's multiple tests wow. to um, check when you submerge it, will it come back up? Um, when you actually race it, which you do, will, will it break, will it shear, you know, all these sort of things. So you have like real engineering in there. But the fun was somehow like combining this ragtag team of people and seeing that everyone, even though we're all in engineering in the same classes, I noticed strengths in each person. And it's how we found each of our like little places. And as a, as a team, as a whole project team, it really came together, even though we all weren't really great at using the structural analysis tool, or we all weren't really good at uh, aesthetics, or we all weren't really good at all of the, the estimates, right? We found a way to balance 
the, the team where the strengths were sort of brought up and the any weaknesses somebody had was a gap that was filled with somebody else. And so I kind of noticed that I loved that. Like that was the, the funnest thing. Um, the classes were fine, right? Like school is school, <laughs> like did well, a student, but um, that, that was like the most important thing that I did while at university was that team for three, four years. Um, and so, and then I got introduced via that experience to do project controls at Bechtel. And so that's where I got a lot of my planning project controls background. I started off in an engineering planning role where I could understand the engineer and what they were talking about. I could read drawings, you know, all of that. Um, but I could also communicate and speak to people from PM and engineering side and sort of like bridge that gap. So that's kind of how I fell into it, I guess. And it just kind of continued. That's an awesome story. Did your canoe float? Yeah. Yeah. And we, so we nice. raced it. It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> wow. We should do something like that, Phil. Like what, something really canoe? crazy. Yeah. It, it was a life-size canoe too. It wasn't small. Like it's like for real people. Oh, wow. So, Did you put people in it? Is that part of the test? Yeah. Did you put people yeah, in Yeah, there's there? a oh. few there's a few races. Um, you have two males in one race, two females in one race, and then four people. So four total people, whatever it may be. And you know, you have to evaluate the point load distribution, all that. So wow. And the oars right. were the oars made out of concrete as well? No. That was crazy <laughs> <be> now. <laughs> <laughs> no it sounds like great fun that actually but just listening to you there i think you're just a natural born leader leader just bring it all together and you know making sure looking at everyone's little sort of strengths as you say you never spoke about the weaknesses you just said everyone has their own strengths and, th and that's a sign of a great leader as well so um th that is awesome so okay so you, you moved along into the control space uh into the, the planning space. And I think one of the things that you mentioned there that I think planners, and maybe I won't call them planners, I'll call them schedulers, be a bit provocative, because a lot of people that are called call themselves planners, but they're not actually real planners. They don't actually, they can't actually visualize what they're scheduling, right? Mm. See, I'll link that back to your <laughs> visual, visual planning. But until you can actually visualize the, the, the end result, all you're really doing is just putting a schedule together. Yeah, and it's the math part of it all. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And there, there's amazing software that can do those things today. You don't need someone to put that through. <laughs> and that actually leads me into my next kind of question. How does AI, and I'm talking about true AI, not the, not the bits we're trying to sort of dabble in right now, in the construction or project management space, but true AI, can true AI take visual planning, BIM, 4D, whatever you want to call it, and say, right, this is what I want to construct, put all of your inputs in, and you tell me exactly what you need to do. So almost replace the planner. Um, so here's the thing about the whole replace the person, replace the human conversation I take. And actually, I think Duncan, Duncan World from Disney is who actually said this, but there are some innate human skills that we cannot replace with math, which is what a computer is, right? Um, it's constantly thinking about the possibilities of what if, what if, what if, what if, um, infinitely. But the planner by true definition should still be creative. 
the planner should still be curious and observant. Um, and so even though we could have a true AI that, that can anticipate that it will rain because of the precipitation happening miles this way and how the wind speed is going, you know, like we can really get into predicting a lot of things. Um, but I still think there's an element of creativity that would be needed on site, um, especially when things don't go according to plan. Even though a computer is doing it, it can still have a slight deviation, a bug, right? Like who's going to be there to fix the bugs and to even understand what the bug is trying to say or what the root cause is. Um, there could be an element there that is still very much human that we need to pay attention to. So I think, yes, future AI can do that, but there's just so many factors that need to be taken into account um, that it just seems like we're a little slow right now in trying to, to get over that hurdle of true AI, like truly anticipating any sort of possibility. And one of the key reasons is it's just the machines that, uh, it's just the machine that's learning and it can't learn what it doesn't know. And humans need to tell it what it needs to learn, right? And it's just like that whole evolution process I'm talking about where we need to feed the right ways, the possible ways, even the wrong ways, because those need to be highlighted. Hey, you're on the wrong path, right? Um, so I believe we can get there, but it won't be a 100% replacement. Yeah, no, thanks for, for sharing your thoughts there, because it reminded me as well, I think, I think felt was Anne Bamford that gave us the example yeah. where um, this lady called in to 911 and she said, I'd like a pizza. And the caller said, you know, you've dialed 911. She said, yes, thank you. I'd like a pizza and I'd like it with pepperoni. Ma'am, you know, you've dialed 911. And she said, yes, how long will it take? And eventually he clicked and he said, ma'am, are you in trouble? And she said, yes, thank you. That will do. Yeah. And um, I think the first thing she said when, she, when he answered the call was, this is my address. I'd like a pizza. So immediately her address was on the call. And I think Anne was saying, you can't get AI to intuit that type of conversation. And that's a type of um, little nuance, I think, that you are referring to when it comes not just to a simple conversation like that, but hugely complex um, mega projects that are constructing hugely complex construction. So, yeah, I, I completely take your point. And that that intuition is so, so valuable. And honestly, even if it was even if it was a scenario like, hey, you need to ask this person that how long would it take the computer to run through its algorithm to figure out it's this way outlier situation to get to something you can feel? Yeah. Right. So it's all I, sometimes I can get a little like soft about it, but a lot of planning is about feeling and just being sort of empathetic to what the scenarios are and then understanding who are you talking to and catering your message so that it can serve them yeah so, yeah no absolutely. i love ai i've got to talk about ai it's so good the problem with that example this is the only because i just thought about it then it's it's presupposing that you would need to call an emergency line if we had ai so it's taking conventional methods and applying it to a future, you know, a future technology that probably wouldn't happen like that. You'd probably have AI in your house, like an Amazon Alexa with super smart site would see and 
probably understand through visual management. There we go. I got it back in there that there's a problem. Something's not right. Behavior that's been elicited is not normal um, and probably raise a flag and maybe get a patrol car to drive by. And so, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, but I think, I think as well, AI is a dangerous term in terms of um, where we are today. We are, we are nowhere near from what I can see. And everyone I've asked, we, we got such a long platform. And I think it was Jeff Bezos that said, you know, our generation probably won't benefit from real machine learning and real AI, but we've got a really important job as kind of data custodians to set up the infrastructure. And that's what we're doing. I think with, with BIM and, and 4D and, and all this data management and consolidation into, into visual reporting and planning is that we're getting it ready for, and you know, that's going to take a long time. I, I, I look at construction projects in particular, uh, Christina, and I just say, we're nowhere near that. We are just nowhere near that. And it'll take some type of incentive, I think, or maybe a better construction or contract or, um, you know, like you said, you know, better buy-in and sponsorship through project owners that they, they mandate this and they say, well, if we really, really want this, we're going to have to mandate it across the board, right? And you talk to the 440 guys and they'll say, well, we've been talking about this for 10 years. Uh, kudos for consistency and, and effort, but it shouldn't take that long to get this involved. So from a sustainable perspective, you know, I guess sustainability must mean also having enough capability. Uh, so how do we get people on the, I wouldn't call it the BIM journey, the, the visual planning journey? What's, what's some things we can do to uplift the, uh, the, the masses, you know, I guess some critical mass in terms of the number of people who understand this concept. Yeah, that's, that was what you're bringing up is the exact reason I started my company, which was the fact that I noticed one day that myself and a few dozen were the people in the world that were doing 4D. Like, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That's unsustainable. And so I'm like, no way, we have to somehow accelerate this cloning process, right? And there's a lot of elements that go into how to do this. Um, the person that has the information needs to share it, first of all. Um, a lot of sort of mentality of someone's gonna take my job or you know whatever it may be that stops people from sharing that. Um, mm. So that's one thing we could talk about at one point, but really it's about just continually upskilling the people that are in the industry that have this potential, but don't know that they have it, right? So there's like some secret sauce. Do you have industry planning and model? Do you have like an awareness of those three core competencies? And are you strong in another? Um, but as well as thinking to the future, going into the education side of it and making people sort of really aware that this is, these are things you need to start considering. These are things that are going to help the industry. Um, these are careers, right? And sort of tackling it from multiple sides. Um, I always take the people first process um, because I'm like, okay, I know maybe that, that P6 jockey you were mentioning, Dale, like that person, she may actually understand things, but is just stuck in this world of, yeah. F9, 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 right? So like maybe it's an opportunity thing, right? But that comes down to resources again. Are you creating an environment and a culture where it's actually okay for these people to try and learn new things or okay to 
um, sort of step out of that F9 world. Um, and then also, do we have the structure in place? So that's the process, right? Do we have a way, if someone says, raises their hand, yes, I want to, do they have a way to actually go about um, learning these things in a real um, fundamental way? And what I mean by that is not saying, here's a software training, but here is, um, here are the core fundamentals you need to consider when you're planning and when you're doing it visually, right? So like really focusing on those concepts and then the technology will come, right? So I'm not a huge tech. Um, I don't think the tech is the root cause. I think that that's an accelerator, right? Um, and so when we focus on getting people out of university or even in high school, sort of understanding this is the process that helps. When we're talking about the, um, the skill inside the organization getting upskilled, that's part of it. And then the documentation part is so important, but it needs to be done in a way that it works. So if you just are by yourself in a silo and you're like, well, these are all the things I did and then you tuck it in your desktop, how is that gonna help anybody, right? So, so you need to sort of figure out these are the things that worked. These are the key things that helped our project. And we realize these are repeatable. Put that in a freaking contract, offer that up in your bid. Say like, these are the things that we can do. Then more owners will start to see like, oh yeah, we should ask for this more and also hit the owner. Like, that's what I do. I work with the owners, I work with the contractor and then I just work with some random person that wants to upskill themselves because I think it has to happen everywhere. And when you have it on paper, we're seeing more bids that say like requires 4D, requires visual planning and it's getting more specific. That's forcing people to even be, to even wonder how do we implement this? Who do we get to implement this? You know, they're asking those right questions um, and it doesn't happen, you don't, and, and you need that for the masses like you're saying, right? Like for the masses, you need that. For the dozens of people like myself and others in the 40 construction group, it's just pure grit and passion. <laughs> like, but you, that's not sustainable. That's, that's mm. personal, that's intimate, that's one-off. We need, we need the structure, we need the process and the procedure and not have it be something that is I mean, make sure that it's something that actually works for that industry or that project. It's, you know what I mean? Like it has to actually be effective and not just some random procedure someone spent 50 hours on and tucked away and like no one even cares about it. Like that's, which comes yeah. back to the audience too. Sorry, I'm rambling. Go, take no, it. No, 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 it's good. <laughs> we're listening, we're listening, we're listening. I, uh, I'll comment before Dalga jump back in there. I'd, I feel like, you know, kind of like pipeline management where, you know, at the start of my career, I did a lot of um, manufacturing or production uh, analytics, and it was great, actually. Middle's law, if anyone doesn't want to figure out throughput. But yeah. I, I see schooling the same problem where, you know, it really geared up for the industrial uh, um, kind of generation and, and, and revolution, but it, it, an evolution, but it didn't, it didn't seem to do the same thing for the digital. And I'm wondering, when is school going to catch up? Because for, for this kind of uh, introduction, it really needs to start early on. And we know kids are already being introduced to visual concepts and apps and, uh, you know, endless streaming and, and visual kind of uh, games on their, on their iPads and et cetera. So it's not like it's a barrier to entry that they're not going to understand it. 
uh, probably later on they'll go to the how does the back end of this system work and, and why is it important to use technology? But like you said, technology isn't the, is not the, is not the barrier or the inhibitor to us learning these things. So I, I feel like, you know, when they, you know, they do conscription or there's a war, you know, everyone gets behind it. They rally, they, they go to schools, they do talks. Like maybe that's what's missing. Maybe we need more of us type people who are advocates and early adopters of these types of systems and tools and methodologies to, really reach out and but before we do that there needs to be a career flight path type thing from yeah. so I, I love christina's talk it was lovely i want to do what she's doing how do i do that there's no mechanism i don't think that's e well there might be and I'll, I'll ask you the question but how do they get from there then into the workforce not to just be an engineer because largely like project controls and project management you fall into the this category um and you usually come from some type of formal discipline like engineering but wouldn't it be great if you said you don't need to be an engineer to be a management or a visual planner? You don't need that. It, it's good to know because you, you get the intricacies, but that should be part of the learning curve within visual management. So well, what's your view on that? Wow. that's <laughs> I have a view on that for sure. My Another thing that happened to me in university was that I was mentoring and teaching, actually. I was teaching kids that were behind the average and I was creating lesson plans and finding very specific pain points to make sure that they gained that skill by the time the rest of the class did. And that teaching and that learning is something that I've continued to carry through. Um, I think you're completely right in the fact that when you're in college or when you're in trade school or wherever you are, it's hard to see the possibility of where it could be, right? Um, so one of the things I'm working on right now is actually making a game it's called digicon digital construction and it's meant to show it's it's kind of like the funner version of life like have you played that game life have you seen it it's like yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of a masochistic game because like you go through all these things and like whatever <laughs> but you go like through Sims. a clear path right and you have to make these decisions um mm. do you want to do something more hands-on do you want to do something more designy do you what do you want to do um, do you like leading people? Do you not? And it kind of makes you go through this path and plots out where you could end up being. And it, it's how it's things that people actually have gone through that I know through digital construction. So it's, it's mapped based off of their actual routes, but you see some commons, like you said, a lot of people came from, um, from engineering. Um, a lot of people go through trade school, become um, a foreman, superintendent, and then they get into things. So there's these common paths. And I think if we could bring light to the, the snake diagrams and the fact that there's these branches, but we're still all in this world of digital construction, um, then it would be a lot easier to see like what we could choose. So at the end of the game, you get to like print, these are the possible steps you should take for your career. Um, and starting to emphasize more on skills than a silo or a, um, a category or a discipline because that becomes more limiting. And I think the new generation is already in that mindset. Like they don't care for silos either. Like they want, everybody wants to be a Renaissance woman and man, um, well, at least majority, but have like a core competency in something. And so when we do these talks, which I know like Steve and Pedro, they're doing a lot of these. 
and DJ, when we do these talks, it needs to emphasize the skills and the fundamentals and not so much just the job, but what you're doing in the job. Because the titles are going to change all the time, but we want yeah. them to have these certain skills that can be applied to either one and understanding like, you know, you can go to school for computer science and be a developer and then be working on um, creating games for construction, right? <laughs> like there's that route, which is another path. So yeah. I, th I think it's, you know, a combination of all that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just quickly comment. I think the, uh, you know, it, it, it can't be that hard to kind of get a, I don't know, a survey together for, for people leaving school or preparing to leave school and enter into life and say, well, okay, you know, it's probably difficult to know what's outside of your peripheral, what you don't know, like you said. And then you you kind of have some questions that elicit roughly what you're passionate about. Because I think, I think you're right. I think it's about matching what skills you'll need in the future workforce. Forget roles, forget group, you know, kind of politics from a, from a career perspective. But what are your passions? Because I find, particularly in our areas, those that are passionate in the profession are the most enjoyable to work with, they're the most engaged, they're the hardest working, they bring life to every subject they talk about. We need to get more people in there. So, you know, it's not about necessarily finding a bucket or a hole or a place for them to fill in because it's not an it's not a, it's not a production line. It is actually nonlinear and, and there's so many you know kind of scastic branches you could go out to. Yeah. And so maybe there's a survey that kind of drills it down and goes, well, based on your preferentials and you know your passions and desires even outside of you know your work life like maybe you build concrete canoes or maybe you play guitar um we think these are pretty interesting areas to look at not a role but maybe the, the study criteria that might be involved in that and i yeah. think even universities would have to play a role in this this is the thing that this is the thing i think this is is stopping it from happening a little bit is the paywall in institutions and in universities where they don't, they don't quite know how to monetize a non-standard role. So if you go in, you say, I'm a mechanical engineer, that's easy. Okay, well, we think you need these things to become a mechanical engineer. If you say, I want to be a visual planner across all sectors with no real specialization, this is around this fusion skills or maybe the T-bar that we're talking about with Ann Benford and some of the other guys, Dale, um, what do they do then? It's very, it's very hard. And, and you, you're seeing this a little bit, I think, during COVID where there's these micro-credentials being issued and people are hammering those and they're getting all these small little certificates and it's its own little uh, bubble, I think, that, that will probably be the way people want to study. And I yeah. think this is a huge risk and threat to universities. And I don't think universities should go away because they're great institutions when they are you know, ahead of the time. But I think for a while now, they've just been behind the times. And so they're really, I mean, we're not going to answer it on a podcast in an hour, but it's just a really interesting observation. And I think you're right. You just need to figure out how to get in there. And Dale, maybe we have to do more talks or we need to figure out a way to move people back into this educational piece, because I think there's a, there's a big gap. And then those that have decided we found our passions, Christina, like you and I and Dale, we need to go back and, and, and kind of represent. Uh, and pay it forward. Yeah. yeah. Pay it forward. Totally. Totally. Dale, I talk too much. It's your turn. Oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, so you, you, you say, you know, those that listen to Christina's speech and get inspired and they want to do that. Well, Christina did speak at the Project Control Summit on this very title and topic of um, the this episode. But um, 
it obviously slightly different. It was in a webinar format, Christina. And I think one of the issues with things like that is you speaking to people that are already converted. We're talking about how to convert, you know, those that, that aren't in the space yet. And so I think you are right. You know, if, if schools and universities are the right place to go to spread the word, spread the love, so to speak, that's where we need to start. Because if you think back, how many people actually know what they want to go and study in university? They just choose something because maybe their friends are doing it or, or that sounds interesting and don't really know. Um, but there's also an element of sales as well. You know, how do you sell the profession? Um, you know, to say, actually, you know what, if you want to get involved in projects, this is a real angle and this can be transforming cities, landscapes, people's lives, creating homes, creating businesses, infrastructure, the works, you know, so it, it is an amazing place to be. And, and like you say, it, it's hard to expand that. It's quite an interesting one, but just touching back on um, your presentation, Christina, was there, was there, either a, a key message or a particular um, query that came back to you in terms of feedback after you presented. Um, I wonder if you could just share some of the experience of presenting at the summit. Yeah, so one thing you mentioned was it's already people that were converted. I don't actually think that was the case. Oh, really? Um, and which is quite interesting. I'm going to use the word interesting. That project controls seem to be one of the most difficult groups to convince to use 4D actually. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And so it's not enough to just think it's cool or useful or whatever. There's, there's still a, a healthy dose of apprehension on like, will this work for me? Right. Um, is that going to work for my project? Whatever it may be. And so I think a lot of people joining um, heard about what 4D was, but had their own preconceptions of what it meant. Um, maybe they had some bad experiences, like, probably. Um, and so what was interesting was getting some feedback from people. I got a lot of feedback where they're like, oh, I actually think this is something I can do. Or like, I, I used to think that was only for a modeler, but maybe I can do it, right? And so that was really interesting because um, when in my presentation, I focused on three different stories, three different people that I had encountered and coached throughout my career. Um, and it comes back to the, the mastery and the core competencies of 4D. So the three groups were industry experience, modeling experience, and planning experience. Um, and what I did is I went through each person. They had, they're very strong in one of those three but had only an awareness or like kind of information level two on uh, the other two. And all three of them became experts at using 4D. And many people that reached out were like, those stories were what I needed to understand because, and it comes back to, I guess, representation, right? Like, is it possible? Is it a future? Can, can this actually work for me? Because a lot of 4D experts, especially in the UK, come from BIM. They don't come from planning. They don't come from project controls. Um, and so there was this, there was this sort of not negativity, but uh, I guess a barrier on like, maybe that I need a lot of modeling experience to do 4D kind of thing. Um, and so that was a key takeaway. 
which was that you don't, you can come from all different types of backgrounds if you're focusing on the true message of what 40 should be doing for you. If you focus on uh, pretty videos and highly dense and detailed models, then yeah, I don't think everyone can do it. But that's not the case. It's, just, it's about having making 4D easily consumable for all. And that includes how to construct it, how to actually consume it, how to add to it, right? And it's that whole cycle. So that's really what the, the presentation really did. It's like, how do you consider the right technology that works for what you need, the, the structures, developing a competency matrix, um, and that competency matrix uh, fed into those three, the, the trilogy that I mentioned. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of like the key, I would say, a lot about that structure. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, thanks for giving a, a quick insight into that. And so I, I, I take from what you're saying, the, the biggest sort of blocker was that awareness. I think the, the awareness that I can actually do this. I don't have to have a specific skill set. I can come in from different angles because as soon as people actually understand it, it makes sense. Well, it's a no-brainer. Um, and then I go and I think, okay, so you did do, a, it was a virtual conference, right? Mm -hmm. Across the globe, did you notice any particular patterns, perhaps um, from various areas of, of the globe where there was a, a bigger response or, or maybe a, a less of a response or maybe a bit more apprehension from certain countries to the others? Or was there nothing like that in terms of feedback? I didn't really get anything from that specific presentation, but I have noticed that the, the competency level just generally is super high in the UK. Um, and even in, you know, Asia and um, the Middle East as well, that's starting to increase, but it's still pockets. And that's still the problem is that you have like such a dense community and, but everybody knows each other. It's like Groundhog yeah. Day. It's the same yeah. thing over and over again. <laughs> and, and that is an inherently a problem with sustainability if there's a core group of people that are the only ones that know how to do it. Um, so that's why I focus a lot on just giving, like putting myself out of work, like for real though, not just as a pitch, you know, because some people are like, oh yeah, we're just, we'll be there for a week and then we'll put ourselves out and whatever. No, for real, like, I try to do every single thing that I know and give it to somebody else so that they, again, can pay it forward to someone else. And because if we continue that cloning process and we standardize it at the, at the root, which is at like high school, then it becomes just the way we do work. And that's my goal is to make 4D just part of the process. Not like someone's saying, you know what we should do? A Gantt chart. Like that shouldn't be the thought. It should be let's do 4d like duh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the you know what we should do a hologram like that those should be the ahas but so so we got to get over that hump and a lot of it has to do with just spreading that information in a in the easy way and um that's why i i still allow powerpoint even power bi sometimes i use for 4d like because you can it's all about tagging right um, making it consumable for whoever we're talking to, Excel all the way to using Alice or, you know, whatever the extremities are um, and making it every single level. 
stands out. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's awesome. And just sticking with webinars for a second, last year, you, I know you're involved with the 4D construction group. Yeah. Um, there was a webinar, a, a free one. Is that happening again this year? Yes, we are planning that. Uh, let's see, it's about two months away. It's September 28th, I believe. It's going to be two days. And the thing I like about that conference is 28th and 29th is that we also understand people have certain attention spans. And so every presentation is only about 15 minutes long. And it comes back to like micro skills and, and the learning process. Um, and we just sort of hit you with the story, with the concept and all that sort of stuff. And you can move on to the next. So it's very, again, easily consumable and mm. visual of a conference. So really excited for that. No, it is exciting. I so last year I, I didn't manage to get through, you know, or I think it was a three days, I think last year. It was four days. It was it four was days, four, yeah. Yeah, four days. I couldn't get on to every day, 24 hours a day, but I managed to watch some of them and I was blown away by the presenters on there. Um so yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Send us the link, we'll put on the the, the podcast show notes for those okay. listeners as well that wanna, you know, get involved. But I think it's an amazing thing um, that you guys put on last year. And I think this year is going to be even more exciting from what I'm hearing from you. So yeah, this, this year is focused more on like the maturity last year was kind of like introduction, yeah. but this year will be the maturity and how do you go through various steps of that for your implementation? Awesome. Awesome. So I just want to shift gear slightly. You mm -hmm. spoke about um, at the summit, you sort of told, real life stories on three different angles. Yeah. Can we take um, 4D planning and sustainability? And do you have a real life example? I mean, you don't have to name names of companies or individuals where you've gone in, implemented, implemented the, the, uh, the, the full skill set and tool set and the full environment, and it's still reaping benefits today and what impact that had on that specific organization? I can't, I can't mention names or projects. See, that's another thing I, I hate about this all though, is, you know, let's hear a case study, whatever. And they're like, oh, we can't share. Honestly, that's a huge roadblock value. Mm -hmm. trying to figure out like, what's the, the biggest barriers and yeah. stuff. That's a huge barrier is the lack of just sharing openly the, the wins. Manufacturing companies do this. Construction don't like <laughs> for some reason, but I can't mention the names unfortunately but um see how do i word this without called project x so they, they yeah project x they focus and this comes back full circle to the evolutionary steps they focused on a single discipline okay they didn't say hey let's just 4d this whole world um they focused on one single discipline the discipline happened to be spread across the entire project and it was, um, it was critical, right? So it was the most critical discipline and that's when they focused on. And they did it for that entire project. What they noticed is that team was just doing so, so well, like the foremans were using it. It was just a part of the everyday process to get into the room and hash things out quickly, not to go forward unless there was an issue. I mean, if there was an issue and the evolutionary part of it is that we started to notice we need to get steel involved. Okay, duh, it sits on, oh, pipe, 
pipes it's on steel and then you're like okay well we need steel then we need concrete and so again like kept driving down but it was it wasn't just thrown at the project it was slowly accepted by it and when we did it that way it was championed by the trades championed by construction not by some BIM group or some party controls group or whoever the group is, whatever enemy you want to pick, um, which is a whole nother thing. Yes. But uh, it was it was championed by people that really saw that it was solving their problems. And when we kept sort of taking those steps and adding more, adding logistics, adding safety, creating things um, like a safe square footage parameter, right? So it's it's more than just the visual, it's also like an intelligent visual. So understanding that this is a, a boundary point and when we're doing a certain type of work, we need this much space. Like it's starting to get more and more intelligent, but it has to be done in those sort of step approaches. So everyone's sort of coming along together on board. And that team, some of those core people after that project was a success, um, they, got separated. Most of them got separated. Yeah, most of them got separated. But they were trying to like make little catalysts in those other projects, right? So yeah, it was like the ultimate at this one project. But then when they went three ways, if you can still maintain that catalyst, then it continues again to branch and branch. And so that's how it becomes, uh, you know, the, the message, like, I guess, I don't want to say crusaders, but like, we're kind of like, <laughs> crusaders, you know, like spreading that message through actual things that work and not just talking though, because you got to see it to believe it. You got to do it to, to learn it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, um, I was just, I'm running notes as we talk because I'll probably have to come back and listen to this uh, again and maybe even your presentation if anyone hasn't seen it. But I like the idea of digital construction. I think it's a nice, a nice way of keeping it high level, but in, in, you know, kind of infers that nothing's really changed. I think some of this, these titles and terms and these departments are, like you said, a barrier to entry and they create more us and them. And, and it's just more right. friction that you have to deal with on a regular basis, which is exhausting for the people on projects. <laughs> Those that are on projects right now and you're, you know, you're upset with project controls or project controls is upset with engineering or whatever it is. Stop. Cut it out. Uh, we're going to visual planning, yeah. get on board. Yeah. And I think the other thing I, I know, I, I mean, I, I speak to a lot of various different people of various different stages of their career. You know, one of the things is as well, uh, accessibility to just, just the basic steps into a particular craft. So, you know, if you're learning how to, I don't know, blow glass, there's, there's a few things you need to learn first before you hurt yourself, which is great. You mentioned safety. What is, um, from your perspective, this is a question because I'm very curious myself, is, that, I mean, there are steps and guidelines out there, but how would you go about setting up uh, a project from scratch with, whether it's, you know, this 4D approach? Would you start with data inputs, cleaning that up, you know, getting buy-in, um, classifying, linking to the schedule, is, is something like that? or is it a little bit more complex and obscure? Depends how much control I can have because the very, very first thing I do would be like a strengths finder for the team and understand where each of these people's strengths are and best 
position because even though I have someone that's called a project scheduler, are they the person I want running my planning meetings that are supposed to be interactive and engaging, right? So that's gonna matter. Um, again, technology is gonna fall short unless we actually have it be meaningful. And then once I tackle, you know, how I think everyone should be placed, then it would be about establishing a common project language. Um, and I even think that 4D can be a project language because I'll give you an example. We're all speaking English, but we could definitely say a word that we don't understand. <laughs> so I was talking to somebody in the UK and he's like, well, just move that cherry picker over there. And I was like, what's a cherry picker? It's like, <laughs> I'm just imagining some dude like picking cherries. Elevated <laughs> platform, right? Yeah. Right. You called it an elevated platform. I call it a man lift. Why do I call it a man lift? I don't know. But trained, <laughs> why yeah. do you call it a cherry yeah. picker? So no like, idea. it's the same language, but we're still mm. talking past each other. We can still be confused. Whereas establishing 4D and, and a common visual, common vision and strategy where everyone's involved is a core uh, concept to a project language. And then saying like, when we talk about this thing, this is what we're gonna call it. Because that will persist throughout the project, whether it come down to the coding, to the naming, but also just generally the, the, le the references, like we're not going to get confused. Um, and starting that off in the beginning is really helpful. And yes, we start out the requirements document for technology, um, but what feeds those requirement documents and the project setup, like you're mentioning, is where do we wanna be at the end? What are we trying to get at the end? And so you constantly need to think about um, the end state and end user. Whatever the heck you're doing, you should, be, you should know what that answer is. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of how I would start it off. And it would be a little uncomfortable, I think for some people, cause they're like, well, what do you mean? How are we supposed to know these things? But I think it asks the right questions at the right time. And then the details will come as we're going, as long as we have that sort of, you know, mindset. Yeah. And does it that mean is. that just, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, it does in, in, to a degree. And then the technical bit for that would be, does, do you bring the, the 3D model to the plan or do you bring the plan to the 3D model? How do you Good. bridge those two? Because sometimes what? it's a little bit like oil and water. Um, yeah. They, they, they talk, like you said, they're talking past each other sometimes. Yeah. Um, I don't ever want them to be oil and water and I don't think they should be. The only reason they are sometimes is just be, no, I'll save that. The only reason they are <laughs> is <laughs> because we are willfully allowing that to be the case. How about that? Sure. Um, sure. It, it's not, hold on my screen, so it's not something that needs to be oil and water. And so when creating the schedule, creating the model, that's why I mentioned what is that end state? Because one of those answers are sometimes we want to be able to have a one-to-one -one relationship for everything that is um, critical, whatever critical is. Or we wanna make sure that we can see all of the bulks and the rates and installation and anticipate it, but not actually have to spend all this time modeling it, right? Like that could be one of their end states. And that drives the decision on how to create that model and how to create uh, that schedule. 
and when, so what I'm, I'm actually coaching a group right now and I'm working with the designers and teaching them about scheduling just enough, just enough to understand what it is they're doing, what impact they're having. And then likewise, the schedulers about design. I was like, you can't schedule like this because it will never be designed this way. And then otherwise to the planner about construction, like you can't plan like this because they're never going to actually use it because no one builds that way. Right. Mm. And so it comes back to that, that, that trilogy again of like experience and modeling and planning, you can be really strong in one and that'll probably be your forever core, but there needs to be an awareness on each. So I say they start together. I don't, and that's why I first answered, it depends on how much control I have. Because if it's like a baby project, lots of control. <laughs> if, it's yeah. a, if it's a rescue project, then it's usually evaluating both and applying, the, the schedule usually has a lot more detail than the model um, when you consider the schedule, including like the, the stuff that the superintendent has in his back pocket, plus the actual client schedule. Um, which I hate that they're different. Uh, that's a whole nother topic as well. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. Kind of finding the common and then you have to usually add something to both when you're coming in as a rescue project. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. No, it, it, it is a difficult one and I, I agree. It, it shouldn't be two different things. Um, we just probably need, need to sit it out. And, and that awareness curve as well from a maturity perspective is something that these things like the podcast paying it forward like you said getting in there and representing at schools and early on in life so there's career prospects for people to get in early because it it won't be role specific it'll be skill uh, skill specific and i think there's an idea of embedding those skills in each department as well like what you mm -hmm. said before you want, you want the tradies to own it you want the you want the i guess the people that are accountable and responsible to own that part of the plan or that part of the visual dashboard or whatever it's going to be uh to take ownership because when people have control they will take responsibility if you yeah. control it for them they'll be like well this is your project now screw you guys uh it's nothing if it goes wrong it's not my problem because yeah. now you're saying it's yours so no thank you christina yeah. i'll have to you thanks fell yeah um i was just thinking they're listening in if, if it is oil and water then that's the first sign that something's wrong, right? Right. So. Yeah. It was our rescue and, project. Yeah. And it's probably a bad project manager. No offense, project manager, but like it's a bad project <laughs> manager. <laughs> because you the senior management, the senior leadership, maybe not even senior leadership, but project leadership, regardless of level, needs yeah. to set that tone, right? And like so if you allow there to be this weird fight between engineering and construction all the time or whatever it may be, it, like you're just perpetuating it and it doesn't actually have to be that way. I mean, one of the companies I love the most um, is actually DPR because they have so many little loving superintendent groups that like you wouldn't think <laughs> would get along, but they do. And it's because that is how they set it up from ground one, right? It's ground zero. Like they just start off like, this is how we treat each other. This is how we're going to get along. This is how we work. And everyone still cusses and yells or whatever. Of course. But yeah. it's productive. It's like yes. a family, right? Yeah. We all fight, but <laughs> productively. <laughs> yeah. Constructive discourse is, is healthy. Yes. So, you know, you and that keeps it attention. fun too. 
quite exactly. honestly. Yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> but no, Christina Henkai, I love your passion. I love it that you all about paying it forward as well. We could literally talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but we do have a limited time. So we'll have you back in the future to discuss okay. another topic. Um, and I also love that you've provided us another triangle. We love triangles on the Project Shadow podcast. Oh, we have my favorite shape. <laughs> Sorry, That's one too. There we go. But we haven't, yeah, we haven't had a triangle for a while. So it's <laughs> been amazing. And we went down quite a few rabbit holes there. So listeners, be sure to go back, rewind listen again but this does bring us to a very special part of the podcast christina it is our feature and we have had in the background mr martin Carriston sort of just listening in you know um preparing himself to uh take you through your paces for defend the indefensible okay Okay. Thanks, Dan. Um, thanks, Christina. <laughs> really enjoyed that. Again, a, a really passionate um, a summary of, of 4D planning. It was it was really interesting. Uh, yeah, as Dale said, we have a guest feature on the show called Defend the Indefensible. It's where we ask our guests to defend a ridiculous statement for 30 seconds. It's inspired by some of the ridiculous comments we've all heard over the years, and I'm sure you've had a fair share of these over yours, given the subject. Um so if you're willing, if you're keen, we, we can make a start. Okay. I hope I do okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Christina, you have 30 seconds to defend the following statement. As a project manager, we don't need marketing tools like 4D planning if the experts just delivered on what they said they would do. A simple Gantt chart would just suffice. Discuss. Okay, first of all. I would have to take a breath and then second <laughs> say just because oh no I would probably say how do you know what they're actually executing is in line with your expectations are you actually communicating exactly what you need even though it's in text even though it's in language does everybody understand what it is you're trying to deliver so you say deliver within expectations well, don't everybody have a different interpretation? And so I would probably just keep nailing them on that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Cheers. Thanks a lot. I could feel the pain there. It was. Um... Oh, you brought up like so many faces popped up in my mind. You... <laughs> <laughs> a few project directors. Uh, yeah. Come and, out with and that. It's exactly that. It's it's telling somebody like a different point of view and and explaining like, hey, things get lost in translation no matter what. Like no matter what. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Uh, before you go, uh, just one more thing. We have a, a quick pop quiz uh, okay. where we treat all our guests. Five quick fire questions all about yourself. So if you're, again, if you're keen, okay. we can make a start. Let's do it. Okay. Question one. Would you rather spend your day with people or technology? People. But specific people. <laughs> Good answer. <I> like that. <laughs> What's more important, time, cost, or quality? Uh, quality, quality, quality. Quality affects lives. Very good. Okay, I completely agree. Uh, what's the best book you've been gifted? Oh, uh, what is it called? Um, so my good friend Charlie Dunn has really gotten me into storytelling for like a long time, and it's called The Storyteller's Secrets absolutely love that book it's a book of stories actually but they're categorized and I use that in everything I do plus we're probably going to do an event that's called like story learning and construction that I 
created based off of that book. So that's the book. Totally. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can see three pens uh, going, <laughs> writing, that, writing that down there. So. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. We'll definitely look that up. Uh, number four, what's the biggest mistake you've made on a project? Um, not following my gut. I, I knew something seemed wrong, but I was the junior planner and she was the lead planner. And she's just, she essentially told me to shut up and just do what she said. So I did because I was so new and just didn't know. And then uh, two weeks later, we both got in trouble because that schedule was crap. And I knew it was crap because I wasn't listening to the superintendent. So I never make that mistake again. I'm constantly look, talking to the people doing the work, performing the work, and translating what they're doing into whatever gibberish I need to do, a Gantt chart, a text. <laughs> so that. Great. Good advice. Last one. What profession, other than your own, would you like to have attempted? A teacher. Oh, yeah. You definitely um, see the education coming through there. I think, I think actually my 15-year goal is probably not going to be in construction. I think it'll be in education, doing some of the things that Val talked about, which is restructuring the way that we teach our youth. So that. <laughs> Great. Well done. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that, Christina. Uh, back Thank to you, Dan. Thank you, Christina. That was amazing. Um, maybe we should uh, tie you up with Anne Bamford. She's also a huge in education and uh, fusion skills in London, at the City of London. So uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, we'll hook you up. But um, just before we go, any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, Christina? Um, final thoughts. Well, I guess to I just I guess. Uh, you know what? Maybe it's not related, but it's on my mind and I can't get it out. There's this Buddhist quote I really love. My family's Buddhist and so am I. And it's um, truth without compassion is cruelty. And I think we can take that into a lot of what we do. There is fact in a lot of what we do, but without understanding points of view, um, how this impacts another person, then we're just kind of being mean. And unless you're being mean for fun, it's not good. <laughs> so... Yeah, maybe that. <laughs> awesome. Very, very wise words and thoughts to leave the listeners with. I don't even want to go to Val, but I will. Val, final thoughts. Oh, you don't even want to go to me. Season no, after four. what Christina said. How can I, yeah, how I can know, you top that? I know. You can't top that. I'm not going to try. Uh, but I do I do thank uh, Christina, uh, especially on our first episode for season four, and also um, going into the education area and really paying it forward. As you said, it's it's fantastic to see it. And we will definitely organize that petition um, yes. on a name changing event. Maybe it's a big ceremony or something, but thanks for your time. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Congratulations on four seasons too. That's amazing. Good. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you for Thank having you. me guys. It's, just, it's been really fun. It has indeed. So folks, that's all the time we have. But remember to hit subscribe before you go. A massive thank you to our guest, Christina Henkai. And thank you all for listening. Till next time we say stay safe, be disruptive and have fun doing it. From me, Val and Martin, it's bye for now. For more information, blogs or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast.
views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.